I am a perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for the next part of my journey through the scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible. Revelation is the only book of the Bible which contains a promise of special blessing to those who read it. In Revelation 1 verses 3 it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. God promises all the readers of this book a special blessing if we read, hear, and take to heart the words of this prophecy. The blessing is that we will be comforted, guided, and have assurance even when the world around us is troubled and confused. We are nearing the conclusion of history and the days are growing darker, but any believer who understands the book of Revelation will have an anchor and a guide for them through these last troubled times. There is no other book in the Bible like Revelation. It is absolutely unique. It is the final revelation from God and there is nothing after this, and unlike the book of Daniel, it was meant to be understood. Although Revelation was written over 2,000 years ago, this book gives all believers what everyone in the world wishes they had, and that is perfectly accurate information about the future. We find ourselves now in chapter 17. Here the Apostle John will focus exclusively on one event that occurs during the judgments of the seven bowls of the wrath of God. That is the destruction of something described as Babylon the Great. In chapter 17, the clock of Revelation has stopped. Chapter 16 closed with the seventh bowl of the wrath of God being poured out, which was the last plague. That would be followed immediately by the praise in heaven of chapter 19, and then go on after that to the return of Jesus Christ. So chapter 17 and 18 returns us back to chapter 16 and gives us a deeper look into the judgment and destruction of the world of Satan, of the Antichrist, and the world of the false prophet. Chapter 17 looks at the spiritual side of Babylon, the religious empire and its destruction. Humans are by nature religious. After all, God created them to be worshippers, so human beings will always worship something somewhere. This is because God made man to reach out to something beyond themselves, namely the supernatural or specifically God himself. He created them with a restlessness, a desire and a capacity to relate to him as the divine creator. Augustine of Hippo was correct when he wrote in the 4th century that you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. So man is an incurable worshipper who will bow inevitably to some god, if not the true god, then to the gods of his own making. Ever since the fall of man when he rebelled against God, man became sinful by nature. His nature became perverted and that natural longing to know God became twisted as well. Man still seeks the supernatural, but he no longer seeks the true God, instead seeking a deity that will suit his own sinfulness. Romans chapter 1 verses 21 to 23 describes mankind's sinful state perfectly. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So man is hopelessly religious and he is a worshiper, but refuses to seek the true God. So, using this desire for something or someone to worship, Satan and his demons then inspire a false religion. 
and false religion is extremely popular because it satisfies man's perverted longing without bringing him under the authority of the true God. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 14 tells us how Satan does this. He disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Satan wages a constant war against God to get people lured into and trapped within false systems that do not worship the true God, but some abomination claiming to be God. All false religions are essentially identical at their core. They just have different names and different rites and different ceremonies. But at their core, they are systems that focus on imagined deities and teach that man can save himself by his own efforts, his own achievements, and his own self-righteousness, and that the way to God is through ceremony, ritual, and rites. One of the frequent questions I have heard asked about the end times is, will the church go through the Great Tribulation? There are many passages of Scripture, especially in the letters to the seven churches of Revelation, that will confirm that the true church of Jesus Christ will not go through the Great Tribulation. Those who truly know the Lord Jesus and who are alive when this period comes will be caught up to be with Him before the Tribulation begins. However, the global church today is not necessarily included in that promise. All of Christendom is not the true church. There is a false church as well. So there is a church that will go through the Great Tribulation. To qualify that statement, let us start with the first six verses of Revelation chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. There is a hint of this in the letter to the church at Thyatira in the second chapter of Revelation. Here the Lord Jesus describes a woman in the church named Jezebel, who taught the people to commit sexual immorality. Jesus declares in Revelation 2 verses 22 that, Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. Revelation 17 verses 1 to 6 gives us a full account of the fate of this false church in the end times. The Apostle John is told to focus on this woman who sat upon the beast. There are several clues, in fact ten of them, which are given to help us identify what this woman represents. It is interesting that two full chapters are devoted to the subject. No other symbol in the entire book of Revelation is given more identifying marks than this woman, so therefore she must represent something very important. The first clue that we are given is that this woman is a prostitute. She is a harlot, or to put it bluntly, a whore. The use of a sexual symbol is bad enough in itself, but it points to an even deeper evil, that is, the perversion of the worship of the true God. A prostitute signifies unfaithfulness to God, 
by someone who claims to honor him. A prostitute is one who provides sexual satisfaction, as a wife would, but does not otherwise fulfill that role. So this clue hints at some organization or group that claims to worship God, but is actually unfaithful to him. The second clue that is given to us is that this woman has worldwide influence. She is described as the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Later on in verse 15, the meaning of many waters is explained by this angel. He says to John, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Many people all over the earth will be influenced by the teachings of this harlot organization. In verses 1 and 2 we read, With her the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. She will have power over the leaders of the nations, that is, the kings of the earth, and she makes the common people drunk with the wine of her adulteries. In other words, they are misled by a religious delusion which results from the teachings of this woman. The third clue is that she is seated upon the beast. We have already learned in episode 43 of Journey Through the Scriptures podcast that this beast represents a western coalition of ten nations, headed by a great political leader who will dominate world economics in the last days. There is a definite relationship between them. It is clear that the woman dominates the beast for a period of time. She is able to exercise tremendous power over the political leader of these last days, but in verses 16 and 17, this power is broken. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Here we are reminded that God is always in overall control. He allows things to happen, and they will surely accomplish His ultimate purposes. The fourth clue is that the woman is obviously very wealthy and expensively adorned. She is arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Although these are symbols of divine and spiritual truths, they are only outwardly worn, and they make the woman very attractive to many people. The fifth clue is a golden cup in her hand. Outwardly, this cup is of gold, which is a symbol of divinity. It looks to be from God, but it is filled with false religious concepts, full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Many Bible commentators point out that this golden cup is intended to be a contrast to the communion cup of the New Testament. The Lord's cup is associated with the truth of God. This gold cup in the hand of the prostitute is a counterfeit of the Lord's cup. It looks like it is the true thing, but is not. At this point, some of you listening to this podcast might be reminded of one of the final scenes of the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where Indiana Jones was confronted by a whole collection of cups, only one of which was the Holy Grail, and the rest being counterfeits. Then the sixth clue is that the woman is called Mystery Babylon the Great. The word mystery indicates that there is something deeper here than what appears on the surface. Babylon, of course, was the great city on the Euphrates River, the capital of the empire which dominated the ancient world. We see the founding of the city in the book of Genesis. It was begun as the city of Babel 
founded by Nimrod and became the center of idol worship for the entire ancient world. But this is not a reference to the Babylon by the Euphrates. The title mystery indicates something deeper, that which is spiritually identified with Babylon. In other words, it is identified with idolatry or spiritual adultery. Back in Revelation chapter 11 verses 8, Jerusalem is called Sodom and Egypt, not because it was Sodom and Egypt, but because it had become identified as the source of corruption and persecution, just like Sodom and Egypt. The seventh clue is that she is called the mother of prostitutes. I said earlier in the podcast that all false religions are really identical at their core, even though they have different names and different rites and different ceremonies. All false religious groups and organizations follow the same errors and fall into the same idolatries and false religious teachings. This mother of prostitutes spreads the seeds of false doctrine throughout the world and many groups will follow her. The eighth clue is that she is a persecutor of the true believers in Christ. It says in verse 6, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. She cannot tolerate any opposition that reveals the falsehood she is perpetuating. Anyone who preaches the truth, contrary to the lies that she spreads, she opposes with violence and death. Revelation 17 verse 9 and verse 18 give the final two clues. Verse 9 says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. And verse 18 says, And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Verse 9 calls for a mind with wisdom. We have to ask ourselves, is this clue easily identifiable? Are we to presume or guess, or are we to carefully think about it? There are more than one dozen ancient writers who identify only one ancient city that was built on seven hills or mountains. That was the city of Rome. The final clue is given to John in verse 18. The angel speaks of the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. In John's day, there could only be one city, Rome. The great city, which was the capital of the Roman Empire, dominated the whole known world of that day and literally ruled over the kings of the earth. There is an interesting phrase in the last part of verse 6. John tells us that when he saw the woman seated upon the beast, that he marveled greatly. Other translations say John was greatly astonished. Why would he be so surprised by recognizing that the great whore of Babylon signified a worldwide false religion based in the city of Rome? Remember, at the time that John wrote the book of Revelation, the church in Rome was not a counterfeit church. It was a genuine Christian congregation. At the end of the first century, when John is writing this, the church in Rome was a persecuted church, where Christians had to hide in the caves underneath the city called catacombs. So it would be a great shock to him to discover that the church he knew in Rome would become a great harlot church and would eventually dominate the kings of the earth. When we put all these clues together, it is impossible to avoid the conclusion that this great harlot seated on the beast is the Roman Catholic Church. It is a church that arose during the present church age, but comes to its greatest power in the last seven years of this age, after the true church has been snatched away. We must remember that we are not talking about Roman Catholic people. 
We should always think of the church as people, but the Roman church itself teaches that the church is the clergy, the papacy, and the hierarchy, and not the people. It is interesting that many Catholic scholars themselves admit that as they study the section of Revelation, that it is Rome that is described there, but they say it is pagan Rome. The only problem with that interpretation is that John would not have been a bit surprised that pagan Rome persecuted the saints of God. This was very common during this time. Seeing the church itself persecuting the saints of God is what astonished him so. But it would be wrong and narrow-minded to conclude that this woman describes the Roman Catholic Church alone. It is the extra-biblical teachings of the Roman Church that is described here. Roman Catholicism has always been a mixture of paganism and Christianity. These heresies came from pagan sources that had been introduced under the name of Christendom. They involve a seeking of earthly power or status gained by religious authority. This is Babylonianism. That is what first arose in the city of Babylon by the Euphrates, a search for earthly power and glory by religious means. The Tower of Babel was built unto heaven and the people said, Let us make a name for ourselves. That is Babylonianism. One of the most fascinating and important developments of the end times will be the emergence of a single world religion, or the religion of Babel or Babylon. All the religions originally spawned out of Babel will recollect themselves as the single world religion, Babylon the Great. Clearly today, there are many denominations, churches and individual Christians who are cursed by the era of Babylonian Christianity. We have heard rumors in the last decade of a possible uniting of the Roman Catholic Church with large Christian movements like the New Apostolic Reformation. Some people might be offended at the identification of the prostitute of Revelation 17 as the Roman Catholic Church. But it is important to remember that this woman wears an inscription on her forehead which says in part, the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Many Christian denominations, organizations and churches that exist today can trace their origins back to the so-called mother of all churches, the Roman Catholic Church. When the Lord Jesus comes to remove his true church out of the world, all these various institutions will still remain on the earth. It should not surprise us to think that the Roman Catholic institution, or the evangelical or the Pentecostal churches that remain when the true church is removed, will become a corrupt and prostituted body. Man always looks on the outward structure of an institution and calls it a church. Jesus Christ knows and recognizes his true church because he can see into every individual human heart. Verses 7 through 14 give an interpretation of the beast. I have already covered this in some detail in episode 43 of the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, which deals with chapter 13 of Revelation. The angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman, and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast, because it was, and is not, and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, 
It is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings, who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. In chapter 13 we saw that the beast represents a revived form of the Roman Empire, ten nations which hand over their sovereignty to one political leader, the Antichrist. In this passage, the angel describes seven kings or forms of government. Five have passed into history, one was dominant in John's day, and another will remain for a little while, and then an eighth king, the beast, would come into being. The sixth form of government, the one that dominated John's time, is the longest enduring form of government in human history, the imperial form. The Roman imperial line began with Julius Caesar, who was born in 100 BC and died in 44 BC. His family name, the Caesars, became synonymous with the term emperor. This empirical line of the Italian Caesars continued until the fall of the Western Empire in 476 AD. Yet the line of emperors or Caesars of Rome did not pass away until 1917 when the German Kaiser and the Russian Tsar were both overthrown in one year. Each one of these titles are ways of spelling Caesar. Kaiser is the German word for Caesar. Tsar is the Russian word for Caesar. So the empirical form which is described in this section as the sixth form of the beast passed away only as late as 1917. A seventh would appear for only a short time, John is told, and then the eighth, which is the beast, will come into being. The final destruction of this beast is described in Revelation 17 verses 13 to 14, which says, These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Who is with the Lamb when he appears? Are they angels? Are they long-dead saints that died millennia ago? No, it has to be the true church that is with him. This scripture confirms that when Jesus appears to defeat the beast, the church is already with him. It says that accompanying him will be those who are called and chosen and faithful. These cannot be angels. These are the saints, the redeemed, the glorified church. The only ones who can be called, chosen and faithful are believers. This verse gives us a brief glimpse of what we can anticipate in chapter 19. Here, John will witness prayers from heaven, which precede a great celebration, followed by the triumphant return of Jesus Christ to earth. At the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned that many times I had heard the question, will the church go through the great tribulation? I hope that these answers and clues that we have found in chapter 17 will finally convince you about the role of the true church in Revelation. This is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, episode 50.